You're listening to the Maine Boys to Men podcast, a podcast dedicated to lifting the voices of young people and engaging youth around topics of gender and violence prevention. Thanks for listening. This episode contains references and stories related to mental health and suicide. If you are sensitive to any of these topics, please exercise caution as well as self-care when listening to this episode or do not listen at all. When listening to this episode, it is important to practice self-care and to put yourself first. Feel free to pause this episode, put both feet on the ground, focus on your breathing, and skip parts that you may be sensitive to. If you feel that you or someone near you may be suffering from suicidal thoughts or actions, you can contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at their 24-hour number, 1-800-273-8255, or visit their website at thesuicidepreventionlifeline.org. Hi everyone, welcome back to The Youth Take. My name is Sarah Stauffer and I'm a student at Hofstra University and an intern at Maine Boys to Men. Hi, uh, my name is Aiden Stark-Chessa. I am a senior in high school and a member of the Maine Boys to Men Youth Council. We are also joined today by a special guest who recently spent time with a number of members of our Youth Advisory Council. Tommy Dahlberg is a financial analyst, a mental health advocate, and a huge fan of vulnerability. So much so that he started his own podcast titled Strength Through Vulnerability to help bring light to the life-changing power of vulnerability. <laughs> you can check out his podcast on Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify. As someone who loves to share his story and how embracing vulnerability has helped to change his life for the better, today he will be sharing that story and talking with us about mental health and vulnerability and masculinity. Nice. Sarah, thanks so, for the intro. Yeah, welcome. <laughs> Aiden, great to be here with you too, man. I don't think you were at the meeting that I was at. Yeah, it's ever since um, spring sports have started up again, I like making the meetings have been like very difficult, yeah. which is a bummer, but yeah. um, it's how it goes sometimes. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad you're here today. Yeah. And I gotta say, when you said that you were a senior in high school, I'm like, man, this kid's competent. Like, <laughs> I did not expect you to still be in high school. Well, thanks. That's a super <laughs> big compliment. It hasn't always been that way. It's definitely yeah. been a, a journey for me. Cool. Absolutely. Well, first of all, listeners, thanks for tuning in. Man, it was an honor to be able to go and be a part of that meeting with Danny and all the other kids who tuned in. That was a lot of fun. And I want to start off by saying I think the work that you all do is incredibly important and very interesting. Um, and it's an honor to be here again today. So... You know, typically when I start sharing my story, I like to preface it by saying I have lived with anxiety for as long as I can remember. I can essentially not remember a single day where I haven't felt at least a little hint of anxiety. And as I look back, you know, there's there's certain moments in our lives that kind of stick out where like when you tell your life story, it, it starts here. There's point A, point B, C, and et cetera. And for me, as I look back, point A is the first moment where I really noticed that something was a little off about me or I was struggling with something internally. And that was when I was in fourth grade. So I think that puts me around eight or nine years old, maybe. And um, I just remember being filled with so much internal pain and angst. And all I wanted was for it to end. And when you're that young and you don't know how to how to tackle it head on. You're not sure how to get the right treatment. You don't even know that there is treatment for this thing that you're feeling. 
the only thing I could think of doing was committing suicide. When I, when I share that, the irony is I probably left my room after that moment. And I probably went back to the living room. And I think that's like so ironic. I go back to the living room when I just wanted to die and I'm surrounded by people who love me, my parents who I have a great relationship with, my sisters, and they had no idea what was going on in that room. And from there, the, the next thing in my story that I think of is when I'm in seventh grade, I, I remember opening up to my dad for the very first time. He's the first person I ever opened up to and said that, hey dad, I, I think I feel anxious. And you can imagine as a seventh grader saying that you feel anxious, like especially back in whatever year that would have been, um, mid 2000s you don't even really know what that means. You know, I'm just trying to take an, a, a word from the English dictionary and, and be able to portray what it is that I'm feeling on the inside. And I remember my dad, who I, again, have a great relationship with, he, he lovingly said to me, Tommy, don't worry about it. It's all just in your head. And I think so many people who have opened up about anxiety, depression, any mental health disorder, have been in a similar position, right? Where you don't feel validated in, in a sense. And in, instead, you are told, hey, it's, you're just making up lies in your head. Like, just stop making up those lies. And for all of those, all those of you who struggle with something like anxiety, depression, whatever it is, you know that's not true. You know you just can't shut it off. And so I remember leaving that conversation feeling invalidated and feeling like I didn't have any direction. I wasn't really sure what else to do. And so as the years went on, I didn't open up to anybody else again for a really long time. When those, what I call intrusive thoughts, the thoughts that were really driving my anxiety came back up, I would just do my best to shove them away, shove them down further and further, causing many sleepless nights. Like I was consistently waking up at 2, 3 a.m. as an elementary school kid, which is definitely an issue. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you know when you're not sleeping well either, that makes everything that much worse too. And so it was just years and years of all of it compounding and me trying to ignore it, but eventually realizing there's no way I can just ignore this. I have to treat this head on. Or commit suicide. That was the, the other thought on my mind. And so if we fast forward, that was, that was seventh grade I had that conversation. If we fast forward to my senior year in college, so that's like what, seven years maybe, eight years, maybe more. Can't do math on the spot. Um, <laughs> we fast forward to senior year in college and I haven't talked to anybody about this stuff since. And it's all getting worse, it's all like I said a second ago, it's compounding. There were more sleepless nights. It was starting to present itself with physical symptoms in terms of I would constantly be trembling. Like my hands were like this. Of course the listeners can't see it, but I'm like shaking my hands because um, the nerves are so bad, the anxiety was so high. You know, it caused an upset stomach. Like I said, sleepless nights, but not just sleepless nights, nights where I would wake up in the middle of the night with a panic attack and my heart bumping so hard against my chest. Like I thought it was going, my chest was just gonna explode wide open. Like it was terrifying. It was so scary. And um, you know, my bed would be a pool of sweat. It was, it was really a nasty scene. It was horrible, it was scary. 
And again, I knew that it, I had two options. Either I needed to attempt reaching out again, find a way to heal myself, or I was either going to die by my own means or I was going to die because I was going to have a heart attack. I was genuinely concerned of that. And so I was lucky enough my senior year in college to be in this relationship with this girl. And um, I remember there was this one day where I reached out to her and I shared a little bit about what was going on. You know, the, the panic attacks, the sleepless nights, the trembling, all that stuff. And just the thoughts racing around in my mind. And I remember her saying to me that she had felt the same way. She had felt the same way for years prior to this. She felt the same way. She struggled with very similar things. She had actually started to see a psychiatrist years prior to this. And um, it was deemed best for her to take medication to help her with her anxiety. And she was continuing to seek treatment. And she was still, she still battled her anxiety. And I found myself in this position for the first time in my life, really, of being able to connect with somebody who was going through a battle that was similar to mine. Of course, not exactly the same, but similar. And so as she's telling me all this, I remember leaving that conversation feeling affirmed, feeling seen, unlike that conversation I had with my dad when I was in seventh grade, and also acknowledging that, wait a minute, I can go and seek out professional help. Like that's. That's an option that I've never really thought of before. And if I had thought of it, I thought that it would make me seem weird or abnormal. But in fact, it is normal and it's healthy and it's right to do. And so after that conversation, I, I reached out to my parents who, again, despite that conversation, me interpreting the conversation with my dad back in seventh grade a certain way, we still have a great relationship. And I shared with them what was going on. And I told them that I wanted to seek out professional help and see if that would, that would benefit me. And so they professionally worked with a psychiatrist before because they both work in healthcare, and they uh, connected me with him and I started to go and see him. And as I saw him more and more, I began to learn more and more about the brain, about what anxiety is from an evolutionary perspective, what, what's going on in my brain and ways to, to battle or, or to heal and accept all these things that are going on within me. And as time went on, I also began to find out that, hey, like this thing that I'm struggling with, it's not just anxiety, it, it's OCD. And I think a lot of people don't really completely understand what OCD is. So it stands for obsessive compulsive disorder. And a lot of times what happens is we focus on the compulsive, the, the action that somebody with OCD takes, meaning the person who excessively washes their hands or needs everything to be neat and orderly, otherwise they have incredible anxiety. And we skip over the first letter in the acronym, which is O, which means obsessive. And what that obsessive means is you're obsessing over something. It's a, it's a mental battle, it's a mental barrier. Um, for me, it's intrusive thoughts, right? And so it'd be intrusive thoughts about um, what if my parents didn't come home tonight because they died in a car accident? What if, what if I couldn't control myself and I really hurt somebody? Like all of these fears of a, of a lack of control. And they would eat away at me and that was one of the main things that would keep me up at night, cause those panic attacks, and of course would cause the anxiety throughout my days. And when I opened up about this OCD thing that I was starting to discover within me, my psychiatrist didn't really connect with me on it very well um, in terms of, I don't think he necessarily specialized in OCD, but I also probably wasn't explaining myself super well. And so there was definitely a disconnect there. 
um, which despite him being a great psychiatrist, led me to going to seek out a different counselor, a different therapist. And I found this counselor who actually had struggled with anxiety and OCD herself too. And I will never forget the first day, the first time that I met with her. It was incredible. So first of all, she's got two dogs that she takes into the office with her. So if you're a dog person like I am, like that immediately was an attraction, right? Like I definitely want to go hang out with some dogs while I open up about whatever's going on within my head. Um, but beyond that, I remember going in, saw the dogs. That was cool. Met this awesome woman. And she, um, when she was introducing herself, she was like, hey, before you start opening up about your intrusive thoughts, your OCD, what you struggle with, I want to share with you what I struggle with, what my intrusive thoughts are, what has driven my anxiety. And it was this beautiful moment of her being vulnerable for the sake of connection and for the sake of me feeling comfortable. And um, my eyes began more and more throughout the story to just, throughout my story, to just really be open to this, the power of this thing that we call vulnerability and, and what that looks like. And so as I began to heal and learn and, and all that good stuff, I got to a point of wanting to help other people. And um, while I wasn't exactly sure at first how I would do so, I also knew that I had always wanted to start a podcast. For like two years, I wanted to start a podcast. And I just didn't know what to talk about. And it was becoming so clear that I should probably talk about the thing that affects me every single day of my life and, and something that I truly believe in. So, of course, the thing that affects me every day is mental health, my anxiety, um, and OCD. And then something that I truly believe in, which would be the power of story and also the power or the strength of vulnerability. And... That's what led me to starting my podcast called Strength Your Vulnerability. Yeah. <laughs> that, well, thank you so much for your vulnerability, first off. Uh, it, it's super interesting to me because a lot of aspects of your story really, like, mirror parts of my past. And mm. some of which I didn't even know anybody else other than me dealt with mm. until a couple minutes ago. Oh, wow. Um, so, I mean... You know, we can dive into that if you want, but I think that just generally, like, hearing people talk about this and knowing that this stuff resonates and is a big aspect of other people's lives and not just their own is super awesome and super powerful. So thanks for just sharing your story. My pleasure, man. Thank you for listening. That means yeah. the world to me. Yeah, I think something else that's really powerful is um, hearing people talk about this, whether it's, you know, on... YouTube or on a podcast or something like that, it really goes to show that um, these aren't just concepts. Um, you know, real people are struggling with these things, and I think the more people talk about them, um, the easier it will be for other people who maybe aren't as ready to talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, it helps them feel, you know, less alone and things like that. And everyone can relate to a certain extent to different people's stories. So. Mm. Thank you for sharing yours. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. And you, you kind of made me think of something off of that, too. Of um, A lot of times, I think, when we when we talk mental health, it can seem super textbooky, right? And I think there's this um, negative connotation or I'm kind of not, I can't find the words that I'm looking for right now. But when you go to seek a counselor or a therapist or a psychiatrist or something, 
a lot of times there's this portrayal of, oh, there's this person who went to school for 10 years who just learned a ton of stuff from a book and they don't actually know what I'm going through, right? And that's, that's super hard to connect with. And I think a lot of people, unfortunately, have been in a position like that. And so when you mentioned what you just did, I just wanted to highlight that's one of the biggest differences about the counselor that I, I continue to see to this day. When she connected with me in that way, it, it builds this connection. We, we realize that, hey, like we're all human. We all, we all struggle with very similar things. Now you brought up a, a really cool thing. Like when you said that my story reminded you of certain aspects of your story, that you weren't necessarily sure other people had, had dealt with or had gone through. Um, you know, that, that makes my heart feel full. That made, made my mind light up. I'm like, oh, like I want to hear more. I want to learn more. Of course, you know, you don't need to share it on this show, but um, I think that's so cool. And I think that that's the power of story, right? Is that m me sharing my story, whether you say anything about yours or not, immediately there's a connection between between us and, and absolutely think, yeah um and i mean i'm i'm more if we want to take it in that direction i would love to share my story and uh you know potentially that can inspire some more i'll take it from i guess a similar place to you like where it all started for me or where i first started realizing like that i was like anxious mm. um and i think uh when i i had this dog um I used to just be terrified that she would die, and so I'd wake up in the middle of the night at random times, and I'd scramble to find her and check to make sure she's breathing, and I couldn't go a night without jumping out of my bed and just, you know, just gasping for air, sweat, just up and looking for this dog, and, you know, making sure that she's breathing. And, you know, in reality, like, you know, she ended up dying years after that, and that experience of just like probably at least a year and a half of not being able to get a full night of sleep and just obsessing over this this animal was uh, the first place where I was like, hey, like maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Mm -hmm. And then a couple years later, as I sort of grew older, every time my parents would leave the house, I would just be terrified, as you said, that they would die mm -hmm. while they were while they were out, or that something terrible would happen. So every time they left, I would go and watch their car drive away, stand in the door until I couldn't see them anymore. And, you know, after doing that ritual, every single time they left the house for years, that one was probably five years, um, you know, nothing ever happened, but I would just, it was another point where I just started obsessing over it. And I think... I think my parents noticed something, and so unlike your story, they would be like, Aiden, like, you seem very anxious, or like, you know, your anxiety is coming up, and I tried therapy, and I tried, um, you know, to, to deal with it, but nothing ever really seemed to stick, and I would, like you, go through nights where I just, like, physically couldn't fall asleep still. Sometimes something's on my mind, or I'm obsessing over something, and I just can't fall asleep and I that that cycle uh, just continues and I think that uh, I didn't ever really realize uh, what was truly going on or I wrote it off in my mind as like 
this makes me stronger, like this gives me a battle to fight, this, uh, I don't want to seek treatment because this is like a defining characteristic of me and if my anxiety goes away then who really am I? Um, and, and so I think that all of these, uh, you know, stuff just compounded and uh, on top of that I would, I, when I finally realized uh, what was going on or that I like, have anxiety or uh, have anxiety that like I need to deal with and more than just to sort of forget about it and move past it when I have an anxiety attack. I would, you know, I would face people being like, you know, you can just like, you can just like not be anxious. You can just not like, it's, it's a choice. You don't have to let your anxiety control you, which I think is true. And from an outside perspective, looking in, of course, that's what you'd want. You'd want to be, uh, you know, proactive and you'd think that that was the healthy thing to say, but I feel like when you hear, like, don't let your anxiety control you, my reaction was, of course I don't want my anxiety can, to control me. Of course I don't want to, like, obsess over details like this. Um, but, you know, that that's not really how I work. And so for, for years, I never really understood uh, what was going on, and I, I never really, I always, hid it from the world because I, I didn't really want to take proactive steps to stop this, stop my spiral from happening. And, you know, to this day, I haven't really taken that many proactive steps from, uh, you know, to, to find a solution or to sort of help myself come to terms and, and begin healing. Uh, and so that also really, that aspect of your passion to connect with people on your podcast really resonates with me as well because I think that through connecting with people and building that rapport, connecting with anybody, uh, you know, it really shows that that's really all you need is just kindness and, and connection. Mm. Dude, can I just say that even though, like I just mentioned, I've told my story so many different times. I know that other people have struggled with similar things as me, but I still feel that connection that I feel with you from you sharing your story and telling me like, hey, like I've struggled with some of these things and I see myself in your story. Like, that's a beautiful thing. I, I feel that connection. I feel that rapport. And I'm glad that you shared your story, man, or at least part of it. Um, that means a heck of a lot to me. And um, I'm grateful to have heard it. And, and also, you made me think about when you said that we can find similarities between every single one of us. Even though us three around this table are super different, I have similarities or things in common with all of you. Yeah, thanks for sharing your story too, Aiden. I think that that adds you know, a, another level of depth to not only this conversation, but also just um, the concept of, you know... Um, vulnerability and um, mental health and you know what that means for male identified people because there is kind of a stigma there there's mm. less of a stigma for female identified folks and I'm grateful for that as a female identified person mm. um, but it is a tricky thing when you are male identified and you're struggling with these things um, how do you guys feel about um, 
how people can be better allies for men with regard to mental health and dealing with it. Mm. Yeah, that's really good. I think that a good place to start is just kind of redefining what masculinity is. Um, and before I kind of go further into that, you saying that made me think, like, I had this podcast called Strength Through Vulnerability, and I'm a guy, that's one of my niche, niches, what a niche, whatever that word is, um, is that I'm a guy talking about vulnerability and, and mental health and all that stuff. And yet, as I look back, I'm like, wow, like the 90% of my guests were, were female, which is, which is quite funny. Um, I don't know if funny is the right word, but um, it's interesting for sure. And, and with that said, I'm so grateful for all the, the women who have come on my show and, and shared their stories and all the men too. It's been a really powerful journey for sure. But yeah, I think when it comes to masculinity, right? Um, you can be tough, you can you can be you can do you can work hard, all these things, and yet you can still embrace vulnerability, right? Like that's what I what I try to do is embrace vulnerability, understand that there's power in my story, understand that it's okay to not be okay, and yet still work hard. Still, you know, I, I just got engaged, so I don't I don't have a family yet. Um, but I still wanna work hard for my future family, right? I wanna work hard for my future wife and and I think that there can be a balance there. So maybe instead of like completely redefining masculinity, maybe it's just like bringing in a few things. Like let's bring in vulnerability. Let's bring in mental health awareness. Let's let's bring in all that good stuff and then also keep the, the good elements of the current definition of masculinity or whatever the current definition is for you. But I'm interested to hear from your angle what you think. Sure, I, I love that idea of like broadening masculinity. Mm. I think that masculinity right now, sort of, the word, like, be a man, be masculine is mm. used to sort of hem people in and keep masculinity super narrow, mm. um, and if we can address issues like, you know, uh, depression, anxiety, like, suicide, uh, and make those not taboo for men, like, I think, I think the world will be a lot better, and that men really, really need more support mm. in, uh, in this area. And to answer your question, Sarah, uh, surprise, surprise, I think that having conversations uh, <laughs> is the number one thing that people can do. Mm -hmm. Raise awareness, just talk about it. And having discussions and connecting with people on a human level around these issues is really the number one thing that, that needs to start happening more. I think what you said is so much, I'm gonna use the word simple with in the best, in the best way. Um, let's talk more. <laughs> you know, let's let's just make it more common to talk about. I love how you mentioned that it takes a conversation, it takes the breaking down stigma almost before we can fully address the issue. I think that's so true, right? Um, for an example, so I grew up as a really as a really heavy kid. So with my weight loss, for example, it, you see the scale of two seventy three. It's really easy to understand. Okay, I should probably eat healthier and maybe eat a little bit less too. But what's the thing causing you to not do that right now, right? Like whether it's, you know, I was, I was bullied as a kid, um, whether it's like the anxieties, I was finding comfort through food, whatever it is, like there was something deeper there that was causing me to reach for food for comfort, that was causing me to overeat. Maybe because I hated myself, I wanted to eat more because that's what I thought I deserved, for example, like I don't know. Um, but you need to like almost uncover those things a little bit before you can really like, make the train get going and actually make some positive change. 
Totally. I, I love that aspect of like, not only like connect with others and like know others, but also know yourself. Like mm. you kind of have to know yourself even before you can go out and, and seek others. Mm. Um, so I think that's super powerful and a really good thing to think about. Mm. Tommy, like what, what is one of your favorite like self care or like calming activities that you, mm. uh, like to do if you ever feel anxious or stressed um, that grounds you? It's mm, a great question. So I think my, the first thing I thought of is going to be a little cliche at this point, I think, and that's meditation. I will admit, I don't meditate every single day, but there are a few things that ground me more than just taking five, ten minutes to close my eyes and just try to just analyze what's going on in my mind and try to just take some thoughts and just let them go, just let them pass away. Um... I say cliche because I feel like people talk about meditation a ton nowadays, and um, and yet I do think that it's incredibly powerful. So, and it's probably also something I should do every day, but I don't. So that's the first thing that came to mind. The second thing is physical movement, is is fitness, working out, or I, I've really gotten into golf the past year or so, um, and just I, what I love about that is I get out in nature, and I'm. You know, there's a physical activity to it where you have to swing a club. You also, I, I prefer to walk. Um, so I'm getting some steps in. You're outside. And then there's also the, the mental element of it too. And I will admit I'm not the most patient person, especially with myself. So it's a, it's a real mental, uh, mental challenge for me. Um, but it's grounding. It's humbling too, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like by all means, it's humbling. Um, and also talking to my mom. Holy cow. I'm a mama's boy, like, by definition. So grounding to just connect with somebody that I love so much. Absolutely. What about what about you? My favorite physical activity that I just, you know, I say it pretty much every podcast. <laughs> um, but I love to surf. I think that cool. it is a perfect mix of the meditation and the physical activity. Mm. Because you're out in the ocean and you're it's hard to talk to other people. You're pretty like isolated and you just hear the sea and the birds and you look around and it's just gorgeous. Even on my most stressful days, I feel like when I take a few hours and get into the water, everything melts away and I can be completely present and I don't worry about anything. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's my favorite activity that really, really grounds me. You guys were both talking about the um, importance of conversation, um, and you were talking about how on your podcast, to most of your conversations about vulnerability and mental health and different things like that, um, in that direction, were with women, with female-identified people. Um, and there, we also touched a little bit on the importance of um, conversations that are happening between people with um, like experiences. Um, and kind of putting all those things together, um, there's this idea that, you know, we need to engage more men, more male identified people in this conversation in order to inspire that sort of change in the idea of masculinity, um, that sort of ideal idea of masculinity that we're hoping for with having these conversations. Um, so from your guys' point of view, what is the best way to help engage more men in these conversations? Mm. It's a really thoughtful question. It's a really good question. Mm -hmm. um, 
I don't want to give you like a bland answer, but the first thing that came to mind was for just more of us to start talking, you know? Um, for example, so I did mention that many of the people who were on my show, they were female identified or, um, and, and not as many men, but still quite a few. And in that line of work, when I would look at my podcast and I was like on these different networking sites and, and finding other people, you also found other people doing very similar things. And of course, I found several other dudes or guys or, or male identified people um, hosting podcasts that were very similar to mine. And so what's cool is I think that the more conversations are being had. I think that there is a lot of momentum there. Um, and when there's more men hosting these podcasts or, you know, in, within organizations like Main Boys to Men, like for you to show up to this and to be a part of the YAC, that's, that's huge. You're playing a part in redefining masculinity. Um, so not to just give you a bland answer, but that's truly what I think is just more people need to step up and start talking. And I think it's happening. I really do. Yeah. Is do you that think kind this... of answer? Yeah, no, 100%. Okay. Obviously it still exists, but do you think the idea of this sort of tragedy of the commons effect mm. is decreasing a little bit when it comes to having these conversations? This idea of some guys um, kind of stepping back and sort of that mentality of like, oh, well, other people are having these conversations for me. I don't need to take mm. part. Like the change will happen because mm. other people are doing it. Do you think that that idea of too many people with that many mentality is decreasing over time. Mm. My initial reaction, I'm interested to hear what, what your thoughts are, is that I don't know if it's mainstream enough yet for people to kind of be at that point. But I do anticipate that to be an, an unfortunately natural thing to happen. Um, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. What do you think, Aiden? To just talk about your first question a little bit, um, I think that I've had a really unique perspective over the past couple years watching a change in myself, first and foremost, and my friends. I've only been a part of Made Boys to Men for a year and a half now, maybe a little more. Um, and when they came to my school, uh, I had the very strong attitude of, ooh, yay, get to not go to class for three days. <laughs> yeah. um, Nice. And that was as much as I was looking at it, and I was hoping that it would be interesting, but beyond it being something that I, like, had to do and or got to do and missed class, my mentality did not go past that. Mm. But then when the conversation started and people, uh, people began to provoke within me the idea of, like, hey, maybe, maybe the way I feel or the anxiety that I feel is brought on by some cultural aspect surrounding my identity as a man uh, and that that's really harmful and really hurts a bunch of people and I can do something to change that. Um, I began to, ever since I joined Main Boys to Men, I've just slowly been like, sort of changing the way I think about these issues. And when I joined Main Boys to Men, two of my closest friends also joined. And so the three of us, over the past year and a half, 
start to check in on each other mental health wise the the culture in of my friends um around caring about how each other are, are doing mental health wise has just skyrocketed and so i think that that is what will happen if more of these conversations take place like what you said and then uh that that second part i think that it feels really good when you sort of realize what's going on and you understand why you feel the way you do or why you may, you know, why you, like, I, I felt lost for a long time. I didn't know why I was anxious or depressed or, or whatever. And I, so when I, when I figured out that, uh, that it, some of what I'm facing, I just need to be honest with myself about my mental health. Um, and honest with others and those who love me about my mental health, my life got better. I was happier. I can be more honest. I can be a more healthy person in myself and with my relationships to others. So I think that there are real benefits to realizing this. And as this gets more mainstream, I, I think and hope that others realize that benefit to themselves. Um, and so it so it sticks around and it spreads and doesn't necessarily like fade. There's this fear within some members of the feminist movement who are saying that funneling resources um, and funds into helping men doesn't actually trickle down to women doesn't actually help women in the long run Mm -hmm. um what would be your response to that i guess Mm. no that's a really good question and you know self-admittedly definitely not an expert in that area what i will say is that to kind of go back to what we were saying earlier too but when there's the connection the understanding that something legit is going on that you can play a part in making this better i think that those resources are going to be received better I'm thinking that women probably acknowledge that there's a gender-based violence issue more often than men acknowledge that there's an issue there, right? And so while I think the resources towards women will probably be received better and will probably could potentially still benefit um, women, I think that it's potentially more important to build that connection with the men who are really most often causing that gender-based violence. I think that it's really interesting because I definitely at my core kind of believe that for uh, the issue of gender-based violence to come to an end or get a lot better, that's going to really need to start and end with men sort of stopping you know, committing uh, committing violence. You have to throw resources at men and, and help them stop committing gender-based violence and so it's tough because you you want to heal the people who have been harmed and you want to stop the issue and i think that that sort of creates a moral dilemma within me a little bit 100 percent, i totally agree with you and that was um something that i want to reiterate is that i do not advocate in any way taking resources away from survivors but with regard to to throwing resources at men to stop um, stop the cycle, um, I'm kind of in the mindset of you can um, rescue and rehabilitate and save anyone as 
you know, but that work will never end unless the cycle stops. Mm. I'm getting from both of you that both of you agree that it is more productive than unproductive to do so. Mm. To, you know, throw those resources at men and kind of start to kind of slow down that cycle of gender-based violence and narrow masculinity. I was remarking the other day with a friend of mine and you know we came to the we we came to the conclusion or we both noticed there are the the disparity between healthy and unhealthy relationships in high school college but I, I don't uh, mostly high school that's my that's my world is crazy I see very few unhealthy like romantic relationships in mm. high school and I just wanted to pick both of your guys' brains about that because it you know I I have you know been in relationships and you know I I think they are healthy um, but I look around and I see so many super harmful and unhealthy relationships and I just wanted to put that in on the floor and see if any of you guys have any thoughts as to why or what needs to change for you know youth people to be able to partake in healthy relationships more. Mm -hmm. The first thing that comes to mind, I, I think about me, right? Like I was definitely in some toxic relationships. Um, I don't. I didn't want to say. I hesitated saying unhealthy just because I don't want people to think they were abusive by any means because right. they weren't. But they were toxic in terms of we definitely didn't connect very well and we we fought and all that stuff. And um, the biggest common denominator in those toxic relationships versus my healthy relationships was me and I say that meaning it took me reflecting and going within myself and figuring out who Tommy is and what challenges does he have in order for me to fully show up for somebody else and I think high school is a really really difficult time where you know, you get in relationships, and that can be good because there's things to learn about being in a relationship and how to treat somebody well. And yet, a lot of, every time that it's an unhealthy relationship, it's because of the individuals. It's not, it's not the, the couple. It's not the relationship itself that's unhealthy. It's the people who are unhealthy, right? Um, and that might be one of the people. It might be both of them. And they're so they're so young that perhaps they haven't had the time to reflect and go within, or maybe they just don't even know how to do that yet. Um, so that might be why you see like a little bit of a prevalence of unhealthy relationships in high school. Um, but unfortunately, I think that's the case in all unhealthy relationships, is that, especially in abusive ones, like there's clearly major issues in the individual that they haven't gone and figured out yet. And so they haven't been able to fully show up to the other person. That's what I would, that's the first thing that came to my mind. I'm interested from a, from a women or female identified individual, what you have to say about that. Yeah, I think, um, I think the biggest thing for me that I've noticed in high school, especially, you know, there's an exponential amount of unhealthy relationships and very, very few healthy ones. And I think part of that has to do with the pressure of high school. You have four years to go from kid to mini adult. You have to figure out, you have four years to figure out what you wanna do. You know, you have four years to get your grades and everything in order in order to get a good education. You have to figure out um, 
generally where your life is going to take you at such a young age. Um, you have all sorts of social hierarchies, you know, academic hierarchies, um, you know, different classes and pressure to perform in a way that will get you into certain social groups, depending on what you're looking for. Um, and I that pressure can cause toxic behavior. And then when that toxic behavior is within a relationship, it just compounds like Aiden was talking about earlier like you know it's just one thing after another and it could be like a super minute detail but I think the pressure that is put on high schoolers nowadays is the main reason why toxic behavior shows up in relationships and just in people's lives in general mm. yeah thank thank you both for those really thoughtful responses I you know Sarah I agree that high school has a ton of pressures and that definitely can like amplify uh what what might be going on and Tommy I totally also think you know what my friend actually said she said that like you may see all the unhealthy high school relationships now but there are a lot of unhealthy relationships period in the world so definitely I, I value that point and I think that um you know it it may be I think you know I think it's a combination of all that, which is, you know, sad, but also it's good to understand um, so we can move forward and hopefully create a world where, you know, this isn't such a prevalent issue. Yeah, I just want to reiterate, like, how awesome it's been having you here and how much, like, how much introspection that I have like I've just been thinking this whole time and like how grateful I am to like have this connection uh with both of you and just feel like we really took a deep dive into some topics uh that may potentially be helpful for for one of our listeners um but are definitely helpful for me um so thank you so much for coming it was a delight dude I appreciate you saying that. And it's an honor to be here. You know, I've, I'm so impressed with both of you as individuals. I'm incredibly impressed with Main Boys to Men, too. And my really, like, two experiences of actually being in on, on meetings or podcast recording, it's everybody within the organization is very impressive. You guys are having such important conversations. Um, and like I said earlier, dude, like, you're in high school. I was nowhere near this... This mature, this capable of having these conversations when I was a high schooler, and, and that goes for a lot of the, the other YAC members who were in the first call that I was a part of, too. Um, it's an impressive organization. You guys are impressive people, and man, it's just an honor to be here. I'm glad that I could have this conversation. It's been so fun. Yeah. yeah, thank you for that, um, and I will 100% agree. The Youth Council, like, really... Um, I think it is sort of self-selective and that, you know, the people who want to have these conversations absolutely, you know, join and yeah. um, come and have these conversations. Um, but it, it does inspire, like, a really j just years after year after year, just groups of really amazing people mm. um, coming together and having these discussions at really young ages, which yeah. is really impressive that the yeah. organization is able to um, inspire that. So, and thank you so much for coming on. It's been really great talking to you again. Um, 
and hopefully this conversation helps you know other people listeners um so thank you so much for listening everyone and thank you so much to our lovely guest tommy for chatting with us today um remember to check out his podcast strength through vulnerability on spotify and apple podcasts um if you're interested on listening to more of these conversations or having conversations like this one you can follow us on instagram at main boys to men and check out other episodes of our podcast um, you can also check out our website at mainboystomen.org to join our youth council and learn more about who we are and what we do. So thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Hello. Thank you so much for listening to The Youth Take. To support more conversations like these, please consider giving $5 at mainboystomen.org. 